0: everyone, welcome to Risk Roundup. Over the years, insurance became an integral part of major financial decisions for everyone, individuals and institutions, for their risk, resources, and assets in geospace, equospace, and space. So as we create new domains like cyberspace, the role of insurance still remains vital. The reason is, that irrespective of natural or human-made domains, the risk that reflects the probability of a loss persistently brings complex challenges for individuals and institutions. Now the making of cyberspace has in fact fundamentally redefined the security complexities of all connected domains. So when cyberspace connects all known human domains and brings individuals and institutions numerous risk, and when one has assets to protect, it is the threats and vulnerability in security that create the potential for risk and losses. Now, the concept of transferring the economic consequences of risk, that is the purchasing of insurance protection, is an important constituent of security and risk management. As a result, evaluating the role of insurance industry in cyberspace and especially for cybersecurity, has become essential. So please join me in welcoming Mark Elliott, CEO of Komar Cyber, to Risk Roundup. Komar Cyber is a human factors security training and consulting company based in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Mark. We're so honored to have you on Risk Roundup and Risk Group community. And I look forward to hearing your thoughts on insurance industry's role in cybersecurity. The floor is yours.
1: Thank you very much for your invitation. Uh, I'm really glad to be here today. Uh, this is a really big question as it relates to cybersecurity. And uh, obviously there are many, many people and many companies who are working on the problem of, of cybersecurity across the world. Uh, one thing that I was very fortunate uh, to be able to do in the past couple of years was, uh, when I was studying for my master's degree, uh, I chose the topic of cybersecurity. I wanted to come up with some kind of um, an interesting or or new angle for it because so much has already been done on the topic. Um, And that's when I realized that uh, that cybersecurity is not just a a corporate issue or a threat to governments, but it's a it's a national level risk to governments, corporations and, and individuals. And uh, a lot of the techniques used against governments are also used against companies and and individuals. So I I dug down into that question and and asked, where's the single leverage point that you could uh, focus on to to create uh, some kind of an institution or system to do cybersecurity across all those uh, different uh, groups and, and organizations? So uh, after some research, I, I came to the rather surprising conclusion that in general, it's not more technology that we need so much in terms of cybersecurity defense. Uh, there's plenty of technology out there. More companies are generating uh, more technology all the time to defend against cyber attacks. Uh, but but what we need is is, is something different because cyber attacks keep going they keep increasing and the amount of money that's lost by governments by companies and individuals is increasing uh, every year so what i realized that uh, the, the the big surprising factor in in my research on how many of these attacks get started is that the vast majority of successful cyber attacks start with people uh by using social engineering uh cyber attackers uh, can can get their way into governments, into uh, corporations, that type of thing uh, far easier than they could by just using brute force software and technology uh, uh, techniques uh, of the past. So realizing that, I looked at how much money companies and governments spend on the technology defense side, and obviously it's, it's hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, it's, it's tremendous a tremendous amount. But again, most of the successful attacks these days are coming in on the side of of what a lot of people call human factors. And I looked at what uh, companies are doing in that respect to to defend themselves. And again, I was surprised to find that even very large multi-billion dollar companies are not putting in the resources that they need to both train their people in terms of cybersecurity threats as well as uh, creating standard operating procedures that they're monitored on in terms of actually adhering to things like basic things, like software updates and making sure you patch your systems, things like that, using good passwords. Uh, All all these things are processes on the human factor side rather than kind of the strict technological defense side. But then once you've realized all that, you realize that the, the, the reason that a lot of these companies simply aren't doing this kind of thing is that one, they believe that they're, they're not at risk, or they believe that the chance of a, a serious or debilitating cyber attack is, is unlikely for them. Uh, and then they also look at the, the the actual costs. If they are hit, well, how much would they actually lose in, in a cyber attack? And some of them actually do have some forms of insurance, maybe not even cyber insurance, but they they have seen other companies just using their their insurance policies to pay out whatever it is that the that the, the ransom takers want um, and and they they, they realize that they could probably get by and so they don't need to institute other kinds of uh, systems to defend themselves so so then what I realized is that the the key in this situation is it's probably the insurance industry uh, that could Become a market maker, if you will, for for creating a set of standards that all companies and organizations have to comply with if they want to get insurance at a reasonable price or to get insurance at all. Uh, so roughly, you know, the the parallel would be something like. Driving cars um, you know, decades ago, there was no car insurance, and people would pay out of pocket for, for whatever damages they they, uh, they incurred. But then, after a while, people realized, okay, it makes a lot more sense to to have auto insurance and in the same way, some companies are now beginning to realize it makes sense to have cyber insurance but the the missed opportunity for the insurance industry is to to come together. Create a common set of standards, and then apply that set of standards to the way it, it underwrites companies for their cyber risk. Uh, a great analogy for this, a really good model for this, is uh, underwriter's laboratory. So, um, uh, hopefully, uh, your, your your listeners have uh, have heard of that. But uh, underwriter laboratories is is not a for profit company. Uh, it's a not for profit organization. That, uh, that looks at the risks and, and, and how it can minimize risks in terms of uh, products that are in workplaces and households, uh, everything from uh, lamps to um, outlets, things, chargers, that type of thing. They, they seek to reduce risks in um, uh, fire safety materials, that type of stuff. Uh, long story short, th- what they do is they set out standards and they offer their research to a company so they can meet that standard and then once they do, then they can say yes, this is a UL approved device. So at the end of the day, when you go to the store and you want to buy a charger, um, there's no law that says you have to buy a UL approved charger, but you know that for safety's sake, you certainly don't want to buy one that hasn't been UL approved. Right. So the goal would be ultimately to have some kind of an insurance um, institute like that, a nonprofit institute that does research, shares that research around to the insurance industry. uh, And then it allows the insurance industry to have a better insight into risks and what companies ought to do to reduce that risk so that they can price their insurance products accordingly.
0: No, I I think it's very insightful and you are right on the, you know, target that, you know, insurance is supposed to take the central role in, you know, the challenges that we are facing and has have always faced in all the human domains and dimensions. But it's important to understand that the fundamental need for security has always been deeply entrenched in human nature since the beginning of times, you know, irrespective of domains or, you know, national nations or, you know, wherever we are. So the story of human race, if we look at, it is in a sense the story of security. So human race or life will not be or never be understood unless we understand the security, that which is at the core and we take that into an account. So this idea of pulling risk, originated long time back in ancient civilizations. And we have, if you look at, uh, review the history of uh, the insurance industry and how Chinese merchants divided their cargo to, you know, uh, various other forms of risk that were practiced uh, in Greece, Rome, and other countries, UK and everywhere. Uh, it has been, uh, you know, exist, it has existed for almost ever, you know, since we have documented history. but the insurance industry that we know today in terms of you know the car insurance or in terms of the home insurance and other kinds of insurance, that is very different than the insurance industry that will need to adapt and evolve to the cyberspace and cybersecurity challenges. So from that perspective, Of the evolution, the need for evolution of this in insurance industry, how do you see the fundamental concept of pooling risk evolving in cyberspace for the cybersecurity risk?
1: No, that's a that's a great question. You hit the nail on the head. This is a very different industry because it's a very different type of risk compared to almost any type of risk that's been insured for up until now. And, and here's why. If you're looking at, say, risk against weather or risk in, in shipping cargo, as you pointed out, um, everyone's trying to get their cargo from point A to point B. They have every incentive to, to do that. But uh, the weather has no particular incentive to try and sink a ship, right? So, so uh, insurance companies can look at, Centuries of data in in some fields in some cases and say all right if you're going to transit your ship uh, From here to there at this time of year using this route More or less with the weather patterns that we've looked at for for a few hundred years and the sea states Etc You can get a pretty good sense of what the level of risk is and then add to that Uh, You you look at uh, ship technology and how secure is the ship? Obviously, insurance companies really dive into all that, but there again, They've got centuries of technology on how well ships are built and how well uh, the, how secure they are. Uh, but they'll also check: okay, does the captain actually have a license? <laughs> has he has he been to school to learn to learn how to do this? What about the status of the crew, etc.? Uh, all those types of things that right now uh, the cybersecurity. Uh, insurance product is not nearly as mature as as these other types of products that have been around for and again in, in some cases centuries. They have all that data to look at, but then also in, in most cases they 're not dealing with um, with human actors you know criminal human actors who are are, are actively trying to thwart every security system that's developed. You know, when you're you're looking at fire safety or you're looking at uh, ship safety, that type of thing. So, So absolutely, and this is exactly why the insurance industry for its own good needs to create uh, some kind of an institute, again, like uh, underwriters laboratories, where, where they can study these things in a very rigorous, very methodical way, uh, looking back to uh, as far as we've had computers and as far as there have been uh, uh, computer viruses and worms starting in, I guess, the late 1990s. So, so, uh, so yeah, absolutely. It, it's a, it's a very different challenge. But it's an essential challenge to take on. Um, I too have talked to a number of insurance uh, executives, and and again, a lot of them kind of throw up their hands on the cybersecurity question, and and they they mention the the point that you mentioned, which is well, you know, cyber is brand new. We don't have the data to look at it. How are we going to do this? Uh, and some of them are losing a, a great deal of money insuring for these cyber risks that they really don't know. The potential yes. downsides too. So, yes. so yeah, it, it involves a lot of study and a lot of focus uh, by a range of of insurance uh, insurance thinkers, insurance companies, not just one company.
0: Yes, you are absolutely right. This is a very complex challenge, and the reason is, see, the point that you made about you know the licensing, you know that someone, uh, you know, let's say you know operating in medical industry, healthcare industry, or you know any other industry in so far we have been having this you know licensing and the standards that you know they have been operating with but in cyberspace there are no such you know requirements licenses or standards there is a democratization of innovation there is a democratization of access and usage so there is no way we can control who is working on which technology and who is using you know which technology uh, tool and what are they doing in cyberspace so with industrialization and the introduction of these emerging technology layers that we see in the cy- that makes the cyberspace and the all the emerging industries and processes the insurance industry is facing very complex challenge because they just don't know what to you know insure and how to insure especially because there are complex interconnectedness and interdependencies. So that is the biggest challenge that I see the insurance industry facing, that how would they uh, deal with this complex interconnectedness and interdependencies, because that is where the heart of the problem is that they are facing, that they just don't know how to you know deal with this industry.
1: No, you're absolutely right. It, it is very difficult because so many things are interconnected. Um, For example, in in general, most insurance companies, when they underwrite an insurance policy or when they when they they provide an insurance policy to a company, say, in the U.S., almost always there's a rider that says, uh, by the way, if your if your building gets wrecked by an attack uh, by a foreign army that has waged war on the United States, we won't insure you for that. (laughs) Right. But but yet you literally have attacks on U.S. private industries, U.S. private companies and individuals even by either nation states, as was the case with uh, Sony when it was attacked, uh, or or uh, in, in the event of uh, criminal gangs that are either given explicit permission by foreign governments to be able to operate on their t- territory and, and they share profits, or, or they're given tacit admission. Basically saying, all right, go ahead and hack all the Western or, or American companies you want, but don't touch any of our companies, you know, that that are in this part of the world, and we'll let you operate that type of thing. So all those can be construed to be to be nation state level attacks, right? And so the, the issue though is is who responds to that? Is it insurance? Again, traditionally, once you get into the question of what is warfare, which is a philosophical question. And I know that you've dealt with that. I, I've, I've watched a number of your, your other uh, broadcasts and and you've covered that topic quite thoroughly. Where is the line between, between say, cyber crime and actual warfare, right? Uh, cyber warfare, if you will. Sure, that's an important question. But at the end of the day, ci- uh, cyber insurance companies will, yeah, they will seek to say, hey, no, that was a nation state attack um that can be construed as an act of war we're not going to insure you for that there have been a, a couple of high level cases that that are actually still pending that involve just that question because it is not very clear i mean i think it'd be quite obvious yeah if an intercontinental ballistic missile hit uh, a a company in california and it came from some place uh, across the pacific launched by another country that very much said hey Sony, we're going to take you out physically. Nobody would deny that's an act of war, even though that's a country saying, uh, stipulating that they are attacking a, a private U.S. company. Mm. It's in the U.S. territory. It's U.S. company. U.S. people are involved. I think the U.S. government would absolutely get involved in something like that. Right. That's my opinion. <laughs> but but yes. there's, there's no there's no law that says that the U.S. government has to defend itself. But I would think that 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 in that case, yeah, it would rise to the level of what most people would consider an act of war. And yes. then it's not a question of insurance uh, and the company wouldn't have to, to, to seek uh, some kind of a redress through uh, either law enforcement or going through an insurance carrier that might deny their claim. No, it would be between the, that, that company and, and the U.S. government, and, and then eventually you know, the aggressor nation. But uh, but no, as it stands right now, you do have the the issue of private companies and individuals who are being targeted by uh, what could be construed as nation state actors and the U.S. government is not involved in defending them at at present. So that's why I think that since you don't really have a a solid national level defense, kind of like um, uh, using the analogy of of the Cold War and and, uh, and nuclear theory, uh, at the strategic level uh, the, the the US government defends its its companies and its and its citizens by having a credible nuclear defense and then you're using nuclear deterrence to to prevent a nuclear war. Um, and then kind of at the individual level, it wasn't that the US government went around and provided every single individual with a a their own personal fallout shelter, right? But they did provide the data that it had on everything it knew about nuclear warfare and and, and the power of nuclear weapons, to uh, to scientists and engineers and then private companies, so, so that they could help create products that individuals could buy. So if you wanted to to buy your own fallout shelter, you could do that, and you could you know have that in your house individually. It, it's that same kind of concept, I think, that has to be applied in in the modern day with regard to cyber attacks, because ultimately you do have nation states. Uh, holding American citizens and and, and companies, and, and uh, I'm sorry, I keep saying American, this does apply to, to, to the sure, entire world. Any
0: country, this yes. applies,
1: to, applies to the entire world. Because the answer is, uh, again, um, taking all the information that governments can pool on cybersecurity and cyber defense, making sure that that's provided to institutions that are kind of not for, not-for-profit institutions um, wow. that will then provide this information to insurance companies. And then the insurance companies create the standards for uh, not only companies that want to buy policies where they say, "Hey, in addition to all of your firewalls and things, you also have to have employee training, you also have to um, make sure that your patches are updated on a certain schedule and we'll come back and check every quarter, whatever that type of thing um, but uh, but you also you also need to have those insurance companies go to the vendors the the the, the manufacturers of, uh, of uh, cyber equipment. And they say, hey, if you're gonna create baby monitors or routers, that type of thing, things that could be hijacked to cause mm-hmm. widespread damage across a society, you really need to build them to this standard. Those are the types of things that, that need to be promulgated by um, a non-government source. And I think that the best non-government source right now is, to deal with this problem is uh, the, the insurance industry.
0: Yes. No, I hear your point. Uh, You made, you know, several important points uh, in your statement here. One is that we currently... Uh, do not have a uh, effective attribution system, so when we anybody is targeted, irrespective of whether it 's a you know single individual or a small company or a big company or uh, a, a system, we just don 't know where the attack is originating, who is behind that, so that attribution the way cyberspace is cre- you know, st- developed. It is very difficult to attribute that, you know, effectively. Of course, you know, with the much more advanced tools and all that, eventually we are able to figure out uh, who who is behind the attack. By that. By the time it's already too late, the damage has happened. And the second is that right now, the manufacturers, let's say for desktops and laptops and all the computer items, they are you know not responsible for ensuring that the security is integrated you know with the tools hardware that you know they are supplying to the common man to the you know businesses industries they they kept themselves separate to you know just developing the hardware but there is no integration of security in that if they take the responsibility of integrating security and does and do the you know the regular updates of you know antivirus software and all those things that needs to be there. Then the common man that is not yet you know quite educated and quite uh, aware about how to you know maintain cybersecurity for their for themselves for their you know home network and uh, their small businesses they would benefit tremendously. But right now, we don't have any such structure. Now, the other challenge is that we have two kinds of risk if we look at uh, the cyberspace. One is independent risk and the other is interconnected interdependent risk. So when it comes to independent risk for the companies, that can afford for the corporations that can afford they are able to transfer their risk and purchase insurance policies for whatever uh you know the risk they think that you know they should be insured for in the beginning you said that you know they are able to uh they purchase the policies and you know the point is that if we if they, when i say we if, it, if the insurance industry uh, without Looking at the other, you know, environment of how the risks are managed, the cybersecurity risks are managed, if they keep in issuing the policies, then we are just transferring risk and, you know, the risks are just becoming bigger and bigger. Because if you look at the insurance industry, how it too originated and when they started, you know, issuing the policies for, let's say, you know, the fire, you know, for the homes they would come and make sure that the chimney is there and all those things that needs to be there, that they are in place before they were issuing the policy. Right now, we don't have any such system or standard for the cyberspace and for the cybersecurity. So for any corporations, if they want to go ahead and you know, purchase policy, they can do that without having to prove that they have an effective cybersecurity risk management framework that is effectively you know managed for for the all the layers of the corporation and for the in there is no such thing the insurance industry does not care about it if they care about it and if they you know go ahead and you know create a structure that we don't mind you know whatever framework you want to implement For the risk management, cybersecurity risk management, go ahead and do that. But if you are in a position, when you identify the risk, if the risk fall within your corporate boundaries, if you are in a position to manage those risks, then it is your responsibility to manage those risks because you are accountable for that and you should not, we will not issue any policy for that. But for the risk that are originating within your corporate boundaries, but even if you manage on your own, it still cannot be managed because it has external interconnectedness and interdependencies. For those integrated risks, we will issue you a policy. So in, in my assessment, insurance industry has a huge opportunity to pull in every single individual, every single corporation from across nations into this integrated risk policy, but they are not doing that. And I have been trying to convince them for last several years that this is an opportunity and the benefits are for everyone. The reason behind that is, Right now, you know, if you look at the intelligence emerging, you know, in the large corporations that have enough, you know, adequate resources and all that, they know when the cybersecurity hacks are happening. And they know that these risks are not just, you know, to their company or initiative. It is going to go towards, you know, other corporations and probably spread to entire country or, you know, even countries. But they don't have any legal liability or responsibility to share that information. So they don't share that. And the others who could have been protected because of the intelligence they have, you know, received, they are not protected because the corporations think that it's a legal liability. Why to tell this, you know, to others? So we have serious, serious gaps at several levels. And if we patch up all that, and if the insurance industry becomes the, you know, backbone of, you know, the cybersecurity risk management framework, I think we can easily eradicate almost seventy-five to eighty percent of the risks that are emerging right now. The only risks that would remain are the interconnected, interdependent risks, and for that they can work with the country, you know, country's government, and you know they can, you know, manage those risks. So we can bring some sort of normalcy in cyberspace. Do, but it's not happening. Do you see something like that happening in the coming years?
1: Well, your your point is really quite timely in terms of the uh, the extended liability across multiple actors. So now, if one company uh, makes an error, especially an error that they knew about in advance and they ignored the cyber risk, uh, not only are they creating risk for themselves, but they're creating risk for other companies that are connected to them, uh, whether it's investors or clients or uh, or Or suppliers that that type of thing so so as a result, um, absolutely, I think that one solution that will that will start to change things in in that space uh, is simply put, uh, these kinds of mistakes are going to get more expensive, and it won 't be enough just to have uh, an insurance policy that will cover some of the risks for cyber downside. Uh, now I think that that uh, companies are going to have to start look at looking at their actual responsibilities and what they could reasonably foresee before some of these quite low level and very obvious um, cyber attacks happen. Uh, just today, I, I believe it came out in the news that uh, Solar Winds is is uh, facing a, a lawsuit that alleges that. their board of directors actually knew about the cybersecurity risks and didn't force any changes at the company. So it'll be quite interesting to follow that lawsuit to see how that goes um, so, if that turns out that uh, they end up being sued, successfully sued for a great deal of money, then I think a lot of boards will be put on notice that that certainly they have to take the issue of cybersecurity a lot more seriously, particularly when they're they're given advance notice, allegedly, about something um, that that's a that's a well defined and well known risk. So, uh, ultimately, I, I think the one thing that's going to motivate companies in particular and then individuals kind of downstream uh, to make these kinds of changes will be the, the financial motivation, whether it's the opportunity to make more money as in the case of insurance firms, or the opportunity to, to not lose a great deal of money, either through theft or by lawsuits. Uh, and that would be for companies um, that are, are, are making the decision early on, do they take cybersecurity cyber seriously as an actual risk or, or do they not? So up until now, uh, I would say that unless you have the bad luck of really having actual money stolen from you or having all of your data locked up and then you had to pay a a large ransom, um, a number of companies have been, as as we say, uh, they've been whistling past the graveyard on this question. They haven't been taking the, the steps they needed to take to ensure better cyber security and uh And they some of them have been trying to transfer that risk by by using insurance policies, and when they have been hit, they just pass that on they they pay whatever they have to pay to their insurance company, but they don't end up having to pay uh, the very large sums of money that the insurance company pays out for these types of these types of uh, of issues. So, so yeah, ultimately, I think that it's going to be financial. Here's the other thing that I, I've, I've realized in, in looking at this issue for a number of years, um, both, you know, professionally and as a student. And, and that's that uh, law is not going to be the solution to the problem when it comes to, to, to cyber risk and, uh, and uh, protecting companies and individuals in terms of cybersecurity. Uh, simply put, I, I don't think that uh, governing bodies can keep up with the level of technology and the pace at which technology changes. And and even if they knew uh, as much as a lot of uh, industry experts, there's no way that they could pass enough laws that would be relevant enough to to force companies to to do what they need to do to, to take steps to have adequate cyber defenses so so it's much better than to focus on um a, a place like the insurance industry because every company needs to have some type of insurance and in the not too distant future cyber is going to be a component of almost every single policy that's written because almost every single policy is going to have some kind of a technological or cyber related aspect to it so so really and 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 again it's the that in that industry that can afford to keep up with all the advances in in cybersecurity, um, cyber attacks, that type of thing, because it's in their interest to protect what they have to pay out, but also to to raise their fees accordingly when needed if there are companies out there that don't want to comply with kind of the highest levels of, of cybersecurity standards.
0: Yes, no. I think you made a very interesting point, and especially I was thinking about you know the point that you made about the boardroom. You know that they were aware of that, but they did not share that information, and that has been the case for you know number of years that the intelligence is not being shared in a timely manner to the right you know uh, parties. But there is also another you know important point that I have noticed is that the, uh, what exactly is cybersecurity risk. Is it the risk to your bank accounts? Is it the risk to your, you know, credit cards? Is it the financial risk? Or is it the strategic, you know, risk that you are facing as a, you know, uh, innovator or a business or uh, industry, you know, in the terms that, you know, uh, your current models, the current uh, way of doing things could be hacked, could be understood by, you know, the hackers, you know, uh, people who are doing espionage and then, you know, rebuilt in a slightly different form and, you know, uh, creating an entirely new industry, thereby, you know, wiping out your current models and current way of doing things. So how we look at cybersecurity and how we look at the security aspect of what we are offering right now, you know, our systems, our industries, our processes, that also needs to be, you know, uh, clarified and understood by every decision maker, because it is not just the risk to, you know, our networks that we are facing. It is the risk to our way of life. It is the risk to our way of doing things that is also at the core of, you know, cybersecurity. And that strategic security is very, very important. But also another, you know, issue that I am seeing the risk that I see emerging, you know, in the financial industries, that everything about the insurance is also becoming an investment in and of themselves. So, you know, there are many securities built on, you know, the insurance uh, that are being offered. So, because the level of insurance so far, you know, if you looked at geospace and if you looked at the natural disaster risk, you know, of uh, all the homes and businesses built on the, uh, you know, shores, that, you know, how it it led to huge losses and brought chaos, you know, and it still brings chaos to, you know, Florida and many other places, uh, which have, you know, higher probability of uh, getting impacted by the hurricanes and all that. So the mega disaster, that emerges for those kind of, you know, challenges, the disasters, happens also in cyberspace. Because, you know, if you do not manage the small, small disasters that happen into your network, into your, you know, uh, systems, then the succession of these regular small, small disasters, it would create a, mega, mega disasters for, you know, cyberspace. And it could bring down entire industries, you know, transportation industry to telecommunication, you know, many other industries, financial industry. And that catastrophe, you know, the insurance industry needs to, you know, repackage these kind of risks into these, you know, catastrophe linked securities that can trade on the market and mitigate, you know, the insurance industry's risk itself because insurance industry is at risk of, you know, how many insurance policies can they issue? And I mean, the amount of uh, security challenges and the hacks that are happening, that is going to, if the insurance industry do not... uh, focus on you know innovating themselves in how they issue policy how they protect themselves then they also are going to be impacted and they will be wiped out in the coming years if there is not innovation you know part of the insurance industry so when we look at cyberspace perspective what risk do you see insurance industry bring uh, to the end users that is the individuals common citizens if they do not innovate in the manner that they need to innovate in the coming years.
1: Uh, well, if the insurance industry doesn't innovate, right, they're, they're at risk of, of paying out a great deal of money on the policies that they've already created. Um, a number of years ago, I, I talked to an insurance executive and uh, and I asked him why his company wasn't getting into cyber insurance uh, more more deeply like a few other companies at the time. And he said that uh, he said that they were interested in it, they were looking at it, but they feared what they considered to be potentially unlimited downside on that, in the sense that uh, normally, if you insure a car, you know the worth of that car it's worth forty thousand dollars. if you wreck it, if it's wrecked and it's totaled, that's the most you'd have to pay out you know for, for the car itself. Right. But uh, but if you're issuing a, a policy that covers a company uh, that says that they do thing X and you estimate that to, to be worth, I don't know, what whatever price you want to put on that, what you might find out later and to your detriment as an insurance company is that that company was the linchpin to the operations of several other companies who are now suing that company uh, because they didn't take basic precautions in cybersecurity, Uh, they were hacked, and then uh, it caused uh, millions of dollars in in damage in several other companies. So it's almost like you're insuring one car for $40,000, it gets wrecked. And somehow that car was was connected to a hundred other cars in in totally different states, right? How in the world could you underwrite a policy for 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 that uh, right. if you can't understand the kind of downsides that you're facing? Now, having said that, again, companies, insurance companies, are issuing these kinds of policies, but but what they really need to do is. They've got to go and do, like you said, the inspections at the time of of, uh, them actually creating the policies to make sure that the companies are complying. But then they have to to continue to check up on them. Uh, If you're if you're saying that an integral part of cybersecurity is making sure that you have updated your 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 software on a regular basis or whenever important security patches come out quarterly, every few months, whatever kind of a time frame they want to establish, they've got to have some kind of a mechanism to go back and make sure that those companies are actually doing that. Because again, some of the largest hacks in history, or some of the largest cyber attacks in history that have been successful have been against companies that have simply not updated or patched software that, that actually had warnings out in the public. Uh, to, to, to do this because there were vulnerabilities involved if you didn't, uh, if you didn't actually install the patch. So you know, it's not a technological problem at that point and it's not even a problem of the insurance company not knowing the downside risk. They know the downside risk when they issue a policy that says make sure you are always patching you know, if that's in your policy. But then they should go back and actually look and, and periodically check to make sure that, they, that they're actually doing that. So these are the types of adaptations that that, um, that I think that insurance companies are going to have to do if they're going to stay in, in the, the cybersecurity insurance marketplace. Uh, I mean, in general, it's it's not a, an insurance company that will come out and inspect your car every year. But yes. it's it's but it'll be say the state government, you know, for most states, not all states, um, yes. that will say, all right, you've got to you've got to take it to some organization like a gas station or wherever to do an inspection to to make sure that it's roadworthy. Um, right. And and if your car isn't roadworthy, you might not be able to insure it. So uh, those two things kind of go hand in hand. So there's a role there can be a role a limited role for government uh, to, to make sure that for example, just the way the government makes sure that everyone has car insurance before they're driving um, and they make sure that everyone has taken some kind of driver's education um, uh, before they start driving uh, then they, they turn everything over to the insurance companies after that. so I, I think that I think that yeah, the insurance companies are going to have to do a lot more work. In terms of of keeping track of all these new developments in terms of cyber risk, and and it's really it would be a huge burden for any one uh, insurance company individually, right? It's That's cool. why I believe that they should they should create um, an institute again, sort of like the UL model, to do that type of research to then push that research out. To all of the um, all the insurers, so that they're all using kind of the similar uh, data sets to to understand these kinds of risks.
0: Yes, yes, very true because cybersecurity risks are not such that, you know, like auto industry risk where there is only driver, you know, uh, collision risk and those kind of things happening. The nature of the risk in cyberspace evolves every single, you know, minute probably, you know, Mm -hmm. I would say. So, yes, there is a need to constantly update that. It's a dynamic system. But there's also another point I have been thinking about that insurance it basically provides indemnification against any kind of financial loss or liability for uh, from any kind of event happening that occurs within a certain specified period, like if you see uh, if you get hit by a hurricane, then within a certain amount of time you have to file a claim if you get a you know uh, into auto accident, you have to file a you know claim within a certain amount of time. But for cybersecurity risk, it's a complex challenge because most of the time, most of the individuals and small organizations, they do not know that they have been, uh, you know, breached. That, you know, there was a security breach that happened that created any amount of loss, you know, that how many months their hackers have been in their system, they don't know that. So there are many cyber intrusions that are still not known to the relevant parties for a very, very long time because they just don't have the resources who are, you know, capable of looking into that and, you know, they can spend that kind of resources. So how would insurance companies deal with such time and discovery and reporting challenges? Uh, This is a very complex challenge for them.
1: It is complex, and and that's why it's so important to get it right on the front end. So in addition to, to having all the technology and having the right firewalls and the right routers and having them configured in the proper ways, all those types of things that companies generally spend most of their cybersecurity budgets on right now, cyber insurers, cybersecurity insurance companies have to really focus on, on making sure that you've got everything prepared at the very outset, which includes uh, employee training and all the human factor issues also. Uh, not, not every company requires their employees to take a, a cybersecurity training course, right? Uh, to, again, that's roughly akin to having a company that has a lot of drivers employed in it because most companies have their people using a computer or a smartphone, that type of thing, right? Uh, so imagine some kind of a delivery company where everyone is given a delivery vehicle, but but no one is given a formal driver's education program, right? Some would be great drivers without having that that training. Others would be horrible. And unfortunately, in in, in computer networks in general, it only takes one person who's not good at cybersecurity to really wreck the entire network. So so. Again, insurance companies have to include those types of things in their standards that you've got to have cybersecurity awareness training for all of your employees to make sure they're covered and, and redo it every year. Every place I've worked has always had that. I mean, since we've had interconnected computers, um, everybody's had some kind of an annual program where you've got to take a you know one hour course or or what have you to, to learn those types of things. But in, in addition to that, they also have to have uh, a, a set of um, standard operating procedures that all these different companies whatever the industry um, they've got these SOPs that they need to follow so if you're in an accounting company you've got one set if you're doing medical things you've got another set and if you're doing dealing with you know, heavy industry uh, you're running a nuclear power plant or something like that you've got another probably far more burdensome set of standard operating procedures but but whatever it is the the insurance company has to make sure that one has been created and that it's also being followed. So, because, as you pointed out, attribution of these attacks is very hard. It's not like you can just send the FBI FBI into another country, arrest hackers, and then force them to repay, um, you know, the money that they stole from you. The the FBI has been successful in doing that a few times. Kudos to them. But but compared to the, the number of attacks that are successful far better to, to, to deal with your security issues on the front end than try to deal with insurance issues or, 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 or compensation on the back end. Uh, I recently spoke to uh, an executive, uh, a partner at a law firm, and I, and I asked them what kinds of preparation they had for all of their employees in terms of cybersecurity awareness training and having a standard set of standard operating procedures for, for using you know, network computers. And he said, well, no, we don't have any of that. We have uh, cyber security insurance. And I said, ah, I see. So it's sort of like saying you never took driver's ed. And then if you get into an accident, you're not worried about uh, driver's ed or having seatbelts or anything because you've got a really good uh, health insurance plan. This is when you go to the hospital. And he said, hmm, <laughs> interesting point. So so I think that it it, it, it takes all of these things across the spectrum from start to finish Uh, in terms of potential cyber attacks, avoiding cyber attacks. And then, yes, when you're hit by a cyber attack, making sure that you've got a plan in place so you know how to deal with it, to try to minimize it um, as it's happening, and then how to clean up in the aftermath of of a successful attack. Um, And then ultimately, right, you have insurance uh, to to, to make things right uh, at the very end of that process. But I wouldn't start the process at... We're going to ignore steps one through five and then start right with having a good cyber insurance plan.
0: Right, right, very true. So, this is the last point that uh, I think we should talk about is that the essence of insurance is basically the transfer of risk from the insured to one or more insurance, you know, depending on the nature of the risk that is uh, being insured. So, how much risk a contract, any insurance contract, actually transfers is not very transparent you know most of the time so as we try to redefine you know redesign and re you know develop uh, the insurance uh, system for the cyberspace how do you see us the insurance industry effectively uh, transferring you know the cybersecurity uh, risk that any individual or institution is facing effectively, do you see them? Do you see that that's a possibility that they'll be able to ensure or transfer all the risk that any individual or institution uh, could or would uh, be facing
1: today? All the risk, no, I don't think so. Um, I think that ultimately there are some things that insurance companies simply are, are not going to insure for in the future. And, and I think it will be, part of it will be gross negligence. Uh, as, as cyber insurance companies become uh, uh, more sophisticated, they're going to look into the origins of, of these successful cyber attacks. And they will likely find, as I did, that a lot of them start with very basic approaches and they're they 're dealing with human factors issues, so as a result, these are not uh, super sophisticated nation state attacks There are all kinds of esoteric um, very advanced zero day uh, exploits that that a nation state could probably deploy against um a, a company or an individual in a in a country so sure, you, you see that in the movies, and every once in a while you read about that in in the news uh, those kinds of, of things those are extremely rare uh, compared to the number of things where it's just people have not done the very basic things that they need to do to make their, their systems a little bit more secure. So as a result, I think in the future, one thing that insurance companies are going to, to do is they're going to say that they are not going to insure companies that haven't reached a certain minimum standard. Uh, ideally, that minimum standard is going to go up as insurance companies come together and they, they create a really solid floor for what cybersecurity should look like uh, for, for, for most companies. So uh, as a result, I think that that's how the industry is going to protect itself from going bankrupt, from paying out from, from every, every dumb mistake. But they will also become market makers and they will they will create a much higher level of cybersecurity uh, across companies all over the world, ideally. And, and that will trickle down to, to individuals, too, because uh, the computers that they use, the smartphones that they use, they'll also need insurance. And so as a result, they will also need to comply with higher levels of, of cybersecurity requirements that have been levied on them by by uh, their insurers. So I think in the end, everyone benefits, and really it's the insurance companies who will be the, uh, the heroes of that story.
0: Yes, yes, now I hear you, and we at Risk Group, we firmly believe that the insurance industry will need to be a driver for securing cyberspace, and they need to be a key enabler of cybersecurity risk management framework issuance, adaptation, and implementation. Because a partnership of insurance and cybersecurity risk management will form the most effective offense and will always be the best So thank you so much, Mark, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight into insurance's role in cybersecurity, and I'm sure our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from what you had to say today. And as a result, this Risk Roundup Dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Thank you so much. So Risk Group is a strategic security risk research platform and community. And through the Risk Roundup Initiative, Risk Group and I are on a mission to talk with a brilliant brilliant mind like yours. And the reason behind this effort is to research, review, rate and report Strategic security risk facing humanity. So thank you so much for being part of the conversation. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.